there and welcome to Inside Rugby League, the podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. My name's Richard Byram and joining me again on the line this week as usual is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter, as you'll know, is the Yorkshire Evening Post Chief Rugby League Writer and he also contributes articles to our sister paper, the Yorkshire Post. And some good news this week, Peter, for our teams. Uh, Paul McShane has been named the Steve Prescott Man of Steel and a few of our other players gaining representation in the dream team and young player categories as well. Yeah, I think that um, that is good news. Yes, I'm really pleased for Paul McShane, the Castle for Tigers hooker. Um, I was surprised that he got it. I thought it would go to um, probably Bevan French or possibly Liam Fowle at Wigan. But I think um, I think McShane's had an absolutely outstanding season in um, a tough year for Castleford. He's been consistent. He's been very good every week, certainly whenever I've seen him. And um, he has fits all the criteria for, for Man of Steel as far as, um, as I'm concerned. Um, Harry Newman of Leeds, Young Player of the Year, which again, I think he thoroughly deserves. He's been called up into the England Performance Squad this year as well. So it's been a good year for him. At least it was until he, he suffered that horrible leg break a couple of months ago, but he's he's making decent um, progress in his recovery from that. He was nominated last year um, and missed out to Morgan Smithies, I think it was. Um, and I, I think he's he's a terrific prospect and a, a deserved winner of Young Player of the Year. And um, the top try scorer award obviously went to um, went to his teammate Ash Hanley, who was also the top meter maker in um, in Super League and earned a place in the dream team along with Conrad Hurrell. Um, Max Shane was also included in the dream team, and um, it was good to see Kalepi Tanganoa in there from um, from your boys Wakefield. He's had an yeah. absolutely fantastic season for for Wakefield. Been by far, I think, their um, their best player, even when things were going badly, which they were for much of the time after the um, after the restart. Very consistent, a real high-quality player. Um, Wakey have got him on a new contract, which is um, a boost for them. And I know he's somebody they're looking to build their side around for the next um, few years. And it's nice to see a Wakey player get in, isn't it? He's, he's not the only one in recent seasons. But teams like Wakefield in the past have sometimes been overlooked for awards like this. So it's good to see that um, that's not happening anymore. The, the system for selecting um, the Man of Steel and the Dream Team has actually changed in the last couple of years. It used to be, the Dream Team used to be voted on by um, members of the media. And there have been various ways of selecting Man of Steel. We've had a panel to do it. Um, the players voted for Man of Steel for a few years but I'm not sure all of them took that particularly seriously yeah. and, and that was canned because of um, because of that and now oh, points are awarded after every game, 3-2-1 for the best player um, 2 for the second best, 1 for the third best and and um, that's collated at the end of the year this year because not everybody played the same number of matches the top 5 on the leaderboard all went um, through to the shortlist and Ellery Hanley, the rugby league great, picked who's chairman of the Man of Steel panel. He picked the winner. It's, it was Hanley who picked McShane as the um, as the winner and I'm certainly not going to uh, to argue with him on that. But there is a case for saying that maybe the system now 
rewards standout players in not so good teams. But I think whichever way you look at it, it's it's um, it's a worthy win for Paul Matshane. I'm really pleased for him. He's had some. He's not had the easiest time um, in parts of his career. He was a lifelong Leeds fan, signed for them at 16, and was discarded by Rhinos, which must have hurt. He didn't. Um, really make much of an impression at Wakefield, but then got the opportunity to go to Cass in 2015. And under Darrell Powell, he's absolutely thrived. He's certainly one of the best hookers um, in the game at the moment. And um, it's a, a real credit to him. And to, to Castleford, you'd have to say, he's their fifth man of steel in the Super League era and their third since uh, Darrell Powell took over as coach in 2013, which is quite some record really when you yeah, uh, yeah. when you look at the fact that they've you know they've, they've not been regulars in finals they've not been winning trophies but they've obviously been producing some very good players so um, credit to, to Daryl as well Yes indeed um, I think we spoke last night uh, before the winner was officially announced just so that we could plan last night's paper and I think the reaction of the two or three people I had to speak to in that process including you um <laughs> Everybody was like, well, really, has he won? But everybody was really pleased as well. I think everybody had expected that it would be a you know, a Bevan French or a Lancashire-based player, shall we say. And it was good that somebody was chosen on their kind of consistent merit, as it were. Um, as you suggested there, this new system does seem to reward, like a player like Paul, who's played every week, uh, come rain or shine, uh, on the good days and the bad, but he's he's obviously consistently put in a, a seven, eight, nine performance, and that's caught the eyes of the judges or the the match markers, and and he's got his reward for that. And you know, it, it's a kind of sends a message to you, you workhorse players really that you too can win awards like this. Right, it, you know, it doesn't have to be one of the glamour boys or one of the ones who scores all the tries or kicks all the goals necessarily or gets all the headlines. It's the guy who turns up week in, week out for his team and, uh, you know, does his best for them, regardless of the situation that that team finds themselves in. And as he, as you said rightly, Cass really did have a season of two halves uh, up to the lockdown. And then after the lockdown, they never really got going again. So it was good for Paul. And as you say, when he came to Wakefield in 2015, I was really excited by that signing because I know through talking to you and through what I'd seen of myself of what he'd done at Leeds, he was a player of great potential who maybe did have to move away from Leeds a bit like Luke Gale did in order to find himself and maybe one, probably a bit late in his career now to go back to Headingley, but never say never, I suppose. But, you know, obviously Daryl Powell, as Paul himself said yesterday, saw something in him, said, you know, I can get you playing at 100% rather than the 40% you are at the moment. And, uh, you know, it's worked out a great signing for the club and for Paul himself. And uh, just looking at some of the other signings, uh, sorry, some of the other winners as well. Uh, great for Harry Newman, uh, really brilliant young player there. And his star continues to rise and hopefully that will give him a boost as well when, as he comes back from that nasty injury. And uh, Horrell, again, somebody probably... Turns up every week, a bit of a wrecking ball. Obviously created a lot of tries for Ash Hanley, who deservedly won the top try scorer 
Stinkash again is a player who keeps on improving. When he first came into the Leeds team, uh, I wasn't too sure about him. He, he kind of just seemed to make up the numbers when they were short. Uh, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it was one of these he always felt that when the first choice wingers came back, I should be straight out. But since Ryan Hall moved on, he's made one of the wing positions his own and you know, Leeds have been rewarded with their faith and you know he's scored a lot of tries again this season. Um, Michael Lawrence, another guy from our area, the Huddersfield forward, he got the top tackler as well. So it was good to see some unheralded players, shall we say, uh, getting some awards alongside uh, the usual big names. Mm. Yeah, I don't suppose, I don't suppose you can call them unheralded if they win awards. Well, I, I suppose not. No, that's probably the wrong word, in fairness. <laughs> um, I think I think Ash Hanley's been very good for Leeds throughout his his time in the team when he when he came into the side um, I think it, it's breakthrough year was 2015 when they won the treble um, obviously Tom Briscoe was injured for a bit of that and Ash Hanley got his chance and he had to step down when Tom Briscoe returned but he's played quite a lot of rugby over the years and he's been a consistent try scorer um, he's, he's a very good finisher I think he's underrated it's yeah. good to see him in the England training squad and I, I hope he can kick on and, and push for a place in the World Cup next year. He's, there's a lot of good wingers about in Super League, but he's still only young and he, he's going to get better. He's big, he's strong, he's decent hands, he's quick, he's everything you'd want really in a, a modern winger. Um, so yeah, it's good for him to finish top of the charts. I know it wasn't a, a full season. He got 14 tries, which obviously wouldn't, wouldn't be enough in a, a normal year. But he was second, joint second last year, pipped on the last um, the last evening by Tommy Makinson. And, and he's somebody who I think could, could go on and score a lot more tries for Leeds and, and hopefully England over the years. So well done to him. Yeah, certainly. And I should probably just say as well with Kalepi Tang- Tanganoa, um, obviously a big favourite down at Wakefield and someone, as you say, they're looking now to build a team around, but I think that was a real coup for Wakefield to be able to keep hold of him. Obviously, he was being linked at the end of the season with moves here, there and everywhere, but Chris Chester came out and said pretty much straight away that you know he's really enjoying his time at Wakefield and wants to stay here. Uh, so that was a, a good boost for Wakefield after not the best of seasons either. And then, for, as you say, it's not every time that Wakefield gets someone in the dream team and it just, I think, probably gives everyone at the, cl- the club a lift. I suppose at one time he'd have got in the dream team and, and moved on and signed for someone else. But, uh, you know, fair play to Wakefield for keeping hold of him. I'm, I'm really pleased about that. And a, a lot of the people I know who support the team are, are the same. You know, they're surprised that he did stay, but obviously delighted that he did. Yeah, um, yeah. And just talking of Wakefield, a couple of Wakefield-related things. Gareth Ellis, who began his career at Wakefield, he's retired this week, Peter, the Yorkshire Post columnist, amongst many other talents that Gareth has, uh, yeah, after a superb career in the game. Yeah, retired again. He did it yeah. after the um, 2017 season. I don't think he was ready then, or clearly he wasn't. Um, came back in 2019 because of an injury crisis and... and it's been really good for, for Hull um, since he unretired. Um, an absolute standout in Super League 
over the years, long Super League career with started at Wakey, as, as you mentioned, um, won a world title with Leeds on his debut, a couple of grand finals there, went to West Tigers and proved that he could um, walk the walk in the NRL. I think he was West's player of the year for three successive seasons when he was over there, um, came back, joined Hull, could have maybe come back to Leeds, but went to Hull and he's become a, a firm fans favourite and a bit of a club legend over there, um, captained them when they won the Challenge Cup at, at Wembley, been a, a very consistent player, hard as nails um, is uh, is Gazelis and with a lot of skill as well and just a, a modern modern style Super League forward really um, and, a, and a thoroughly nice guy as well so congratulations to him on a, on a fantastic career and he's moving into the coaching side of things at Hull now and I'm sure he'll be a success at that um, at that as well he's a very highly respected in the game and and um, you know it's it's the end of an era a bit when people like that retire but um, it's obviously the right decision I think he's he's firm in his own mind now that the time is right to back it in which he's 39 so it's no surprise but um, I wish him all the best in his future endeavours yeah, certainly I'd, I'd echo all of that, Peter. You know, as I say, I remember him seeing him in the early days down at Wakefield. And, you know, you could tell then he was going to go on to greater things. And he certainly did. And I followed his career with interest. Um, first of all, moving up the road to Leeds uh, and then on to Australia, where, you know, there were several comments on Twitter yesterday, including one from West saying, you know, what a superb servant he'd been and a, and a great example and a great player. And, uh, you know, again, coming back to Hull and, and helping them achieve, you know, the first Wembley win, wasn't it, in the Challenge Cup? Uh, yeah. A real bugbear of Hulls down the years and, and Gareth helped them end that particular hex. And, um, you know, as you say then, obviously highly respected by people throughout the game, uh, both on the administration and on the playing side. And, and, a, and a nice guy to boot in my dealings with Gareth Always a really nice guy and very friendly. And, uh, you know, as you say, hard as nails on the field, but uh, a good guy off it. And, you know, again, to mention that the column Gareth writes for our sister paper, the Yorkshire Post, you know, is a really, a really good one and lots of insight and information in there about what it's like to, to play and coach at the top level and the things that he's done in his career and the other players and coaches that he's respected through time as well. You know, he did a... A big tribute to Shauna Lachlan, another uh, sort of modern great who's retiring as well at the end of this season, the Wigan and uh, former England captain. Um, so again, another very glittering career uh, there. And, and and just sticking with Wakefield for one moment, they've they've put some uh, plans forward. I think to finally redevelop Bellevue. I know that that's perhaps been going on for. Sometime and the cynics may say I'll believe it when I see it, but uh, it does seem like they have a plan in place this time to actually uh, get some works progress down there. And, and uh, you know, obviously, for the sake of the club and the game, I hope that they do um, seem to be planning to build a new East Stand with some uh, conference facilities and hospitality facilities and and all the rest. So uh, let's hope this time that Wakey can finally uh, move Bellevue forward a bit and and give the fans a ground and a team, you know, worth watching. 
Mm. You know what, Rich? I'll believe it when I say it. Yes. <laughs> Over um, 25 years covering Wakefield, I have done Wakefield move to new grounds throughout Wakefield <laughs> develop Bellevue stories on more yeah. than one occasion and nothing's never happened. So I really hope it does on this this occasion because it'd be fantastic for, um, for Wakefield. Uh, I don't think anyone will be getting their hopes up too much until they actually see yes. work being carried out. But the plans certainly look very exciting. The, the new East Sand should be terrific. Um, the, the hospitality facilities will give Wakefield another source of income. The capacity will be extended with the North Stand terracing being, um, being revamped. Um, the car park's going to be improved, which is... <laughs> Those of us who park there on match days will come as, as something of a relief. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it, it will be a nice, um, certainly a much improved stadium if and when this work's completed. So um, best of luck to Wakefield with that. I hope, I hope it does get, uh, get the go ahead and, and we can see some real progress on that because it's definitely something they need. Wakefield have been in Super League since 1999. They've been looking to move throughout that time. We all know that, that Bellevue, as it is at the moment, isn't a Super League standard stadium. Um, and it's holding them back. If they can get better facilities, I'm sure crowds will um, will increase and and it will be good for the club on and off the field. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's the thing, isn't it, with modern sport? If if people are paying uh, good money to watch teams play, then they expect some kind of decent facilities around them, don't they? Whether that's uh, food or entertainment or uh, improved toilet facilities or whatever you want to say, people don't want to be paying twenty, thirty pounds to be sat in a ramshackle stadium. And not just rugby league, any sport. You know, I think if if the people providing the entertainment expect people to pay for it then I think it's only fair that those people sit in pleasant surroundings or stand in pleasant surroundings in order to watch the game and you know joking aside let's hope that this time it really does happen uh, for Wakey there's been too many false stones in this regard since they got into Super League uh, with grand plans or plans to move somewhere else or build a ground or share a ground or whatever else you want to say but none of it's ever happened um, apart from the chalets, obviously at the Bellevue ground, it's pretty much the same as it has been for the last 30-odd years at least. And uh, let's hope that uh, this time, as you say, the work does start and uh, the city has a ground to be proud of. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And talking of clubs looking to come back to Super League, Peter, um, seems to be a growing groundswell of opinion that Bradford Bulls are uh, currently in pole position uh, to get back into the top flight after a few years in the wilderness due to their financial problems. Um, suggestion that, first of all, they'll be moving back to Odsall from Dewsbury Rams' ground on Owl Lane and then looking to take that 12th spot that was vacated by Toronto Wolfpack earlier in the summer. Um not something I'd particularly want to see, not at this stage. I'm not against Bradford returning to Super League per se, but I think that they would really need to have all their ducks in a row before they were allowed back into the top flight again um, with guarantees that there wouldn't be a repeat of the previous problems within another two or three years down the line. I mean, obviously, 
getting a ground like Hodsall back into the game is probably important and see they're looking at maybe bringing back those two old favourite stock car racing and speedway to Hodsall to try and add extra revenue streams um, to help them. But I just feel that there are other teams outside there at the moment who probably deserve a, a shot before Bradford who've probably got stronger finances and uh, better grounds and better sorted out overall. Well, you can see the attraction of Bradford, can't you? It's a big city club. Um, sort of 15 years ago, they were attracting crowds in the of up to 20,000. Um, the RFL owns Odsler, as, as we all know. Bradford can bring something to the competition. There's no doubt about that if they're successful. But it sends out entirely the wrong message if it is Bradford. They're out of Super League um, because of, of financial problems over many years. The collapse of the club led to a decline in performances and, and led to them falling out of the top flight. They dropped down to the, the bottom tier just a, a few years ago. They are rebuilding. They've got an excellent coach in John Keir. Some good players there. They're producing some good young players. To, to get rid of Toronto because of their financial problems yeah. and then bring Bradford in, it, it just would be a retrograde step, in my opinion. Um, I think I'd like to see Bradford come back. I think everybody in the game would. Um, but it's, it's just not the right time. They're not ready, as you say. I think other clubs um, deserve... The uh, deserve the call up more than than Bradford do. There is certainly a lot of people in the game think it's going to be Bradford. I'm not sure where that's coming from, but um, yeah, as yeah. I say, that I just don't think it's the right it's the right thing to do. It doesn't really tick too many of the boxes for for me. But it's going to be interesting to see who they do pick out. There isn't a clear favourite. Really, York's bid is very good. A lot of people like what they're doing there. That's maybe come too early for for them as well. Um, Toulouse would offer a lot, but are you going to bring another foreign club in the um, when a pandemic is still ongoing? Um, London did well, or at least were competitive last time they were in. Yeah, but they. <laughs> They're not attracting huge crowds, are they? Lee, they've been there before. They bring some decent away support. Featherstone have got a nice stadium and, and done well on the pitch. But I'd say I don't think there's there's a, a really standout candidate. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who they do pick. Yeah, I, I, I just thinking on from while you were talking there, Peter, it doesn't either send out a, mess, a good message to any of those clubs, does it either, really, that particularly the Yorks and the Toulousers who have, you know, built up slowly but surely and, and established a team uh, with a bid to get into Super League. And then they just see an old pals act where good old Bradford are, are asked back again. You know, again, it, you think, well, what's the point then if, if they're going to just be pulled out of, you know, the ether uh, because, you know, everybody remembers Bradford and, yeah, they were a great club once upon a time. Well, you know, why not let one of these other clubs have a shot at it? Or Featherstone even, you know, they've they've invested in the right way on and off the field. 
um, an ambitious club. And clubs like that would just think, well, you know, really, if we'd known it was going to be Bradford, then what's the point of even bothering, you know? Uh, so I, you know, I think we said on here the other week, I, I'd like to see York given a go um, with their new ground and, and a good young coach and a, some ambitious signings. I think it'd be, that'd be an interesting one for the game, but we'll have to wait and see. And I'm sure, again, we'll return to this subject as and when a decision is finally made. Mm. And just finally this week, Peter, um, grand final coming up. Uh, no real surprise to anyone. I don't think that Wigan and St. Helens were the two teams that eventually made it through to the final, which this year is at the KCOM Stadium in Hull. Um, probably they've been the most consistent and impressive teams uh, throughout this strange season and a I don't think you could really argue with either of those getting to the final. No, I think that's right. You ideally want the best two teams in the, the grand final and, and that's what we've got. They both deserve to be there and, and hopefully they'll they'll put on a show. Um, the, the thing that's interested me about it is I, <laughs> I don't want to be one of these people who bang on about match officials yeah. all the time, but... Um, Chris Kendall has been appointed as referee and that certainly raised some eyebrows among yeah. fans and, and I'm sure are across the game in, in general for, for people who, who aren't aware two weeks ago Chris Kendall refereed the playoff tie between Castle and Dragons and Leeds Rhinos um, there were a couple of unsavoury incidents in that, that game um, and on review, uh, two Catalans players were charged with serious offences. Um, one of them, Mickey McElorum, got a six-match ban and another, Joel Tompkins, got an eight-match ban. Neither player was penalised or any action taken against during the game. So, you've got to say that if a referee's missed two incidents that are worth a total of a 14-match ban, question marks have to be raised about yeah. him. His video assistant that day was Robert Hicks and he's not had a, a video referee gig since. He's not involved in doing that at the, the grand final and he's he's not refereeing the grand final either. So it looks to me like um, he's he's possibly paying the price for, for what happened that evening. But I think to, um, to appoint the referee from that game to the semi-final, which happened last week, when he did, um, he did the first game between um, between Saints and um, Saints and Hull, and uh, sorry, did he? Well, he did one of the he did one of the semi-finals. Yeah. Anyway, apologise. Um, and then to give him the grand final, I'm not sure it sends the message out that referees are accountable and that they'll be judged on their performances. Um, nothing against Chris Kendall. I just think if a player had made it a huge blunder. He would be dropped by by the um, by the coach of his team, um, and I think the same thing should apply to referees. It's a problem in the game that we don't have that deep a, a pool of referees. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to do the job, and I don't know why anybody would. No. Um, but I think it's something that concerns a lot of people and it's something needs to be done about the overall standard and the way the, the referees department is is run. I'd like to see more 
young referees coming through and putting pressure on on some of these older, um, experienced heads. And and you'd like to see them rewarded for good performances. Uh, I'm sure the referees who aren't on duty in the the grand final will be thinking, well, what what do I have to do to get a big game like this? Um, but let's hope nobody's talking about Chris Kendall after the final hooter on uh, on Friday and, and everybody's talking about what a great game it's been and, and the fact we've got worthy champions at the end of it. Yes, I, I agree. You know, I think there's that old saying, no referee, no game, and I certainly wouldn't want to be a referee basher and quite often I take pride in the fact that I don't really notice the referees, but, you know, the... There could be no doubt in uh, what was going on in the Catalans v Leeds game and, and the incidents which unfolded uh, before all our eyes. And, um, you know, I said to you after that game, it, it really looked at one time that that game could have really gone off um, if perhaps David Mead hadn't scored that try for Catalan, which kind of swung the game away from Leeds for once and for all. Uh, but at the same time, as you've said, there has to be a degree of accountability too. You know, it's not a job I would want to do. And I've often joked, uh, my son quite likes refereeing at football or watching what they do. And I say, you know, I wouldn't want to discourage you, but, you know, there's a lot involved. And, uh, you know, you have to have broad shoulders to, to be a referee. And, you know, and I admire the guys that do. But, you know, at the same time, if you make a mistake, as you've said, with the players, if a player makes a mistake, he gets dropped. If a manager keeps making mistakes, they lose the job. Then if a referee makes such blatant uh, or misses such blatant incidents or makes an, a bad error, then they too should be, you know, stood down for a week or so and, you know, maybe shown some ways in which they've gone wrong and how they could put them right. I'm not talking about slaughtering referees or them losing their jobs or not wanting to ref anymore because of the abuse they get or being frightened of making decisions because of the fear of, for the abuse they might get. But I think that there should be some degree of accountability. And as you say, I was saying to you just before we came on air that uh, in recent games, to me, Chris Kendall seems to be on the tell every time I put it on. Um, ben Thaler doesn't seem to be in favour anymore. And if it's not Kendall, it seems to be Robert Hicks. And as you say, James Child, another guy who seems to have was flavour of the month for a while and, and then seems to have uh, faded into the background too. So there isn't a very deep pool. And, and it may, you know, obviously we need referees in order uh, for the game to go ahead. And uh, let's hope that there's some kind of pathway from the amateur to the, to the senior game, uh, you know, and in a, in, in a nice way, put pressure on the, established order, you know, with, with some good new young referees. But he doesn't particularly send out the right message that he's got the grand final after all that's gone on. And, and as you say, the, the semi-final again, uh, you know, was controversial at times. So, uh, you know, I think it's certainly a problem for the game as a whole. You know, I don't know whether because of there's not as many amateur games happening now or whatever, or whether people are being put off because they're not keen on, on the abuse side of things. But uh, so, something needs to be done uh, regarding refereeing, and soon, of course, as well. So from there, Peter, I think we'll leave it for this week. Um, thank you again for all your comments and observations, and let's hope that whatever else, it's a really good grand final uh, to end this 
a desperate season that we've had through no fault of the clubs, as we've said on many occasions. We've got to the end of it at least and, and we are going to have a grand final, albeit without a crowd. But, you know, let's hope that the best team, which I probably fancy Wigan myself, uh, goes on to, to win the trophy and we can wrap the season up and come back in the new year. And by the sound of it, maybe crowds might be allowed back in as well if, if things start continue to improve. And that'll be another good boost for the club going into the new year. So all that's left for us now to say is uh, thanks and goodbye. You can get your usual sport and news information from our website, yorkshireeveningpost.co.uk, from Peter's own Twitter feed, at Peter Smith, YEP, or mine, at Richard Byron, YEP. And we'll hopefully back, be back again soon. Thank you.